Scaffold Pike is the tallest mountain in Great Britain. And recently, somebody stole the top inch of it. Now, I'm wondering, does this actually make the mountain officially an inch shorter? Bill Stone knows about these things. Uh, you, you go by Bill, right? Bill Stone is fine. Uh, my formal name is William, but I go by Bill okay. uh, Stone. And I, my position um, is that I'm a geodesist with the National Geodetic Survey. I don't think I've ever heard no. of a geodesist before. It's a, it's a pretty obscure profession, yeah. And um, more specifically, I'm... Geodesy is defined as the science of measuring and monitoring the size and shape of the Earth and points on its surface. The National Geodetic Survey is part of NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So, Bill, if you stole the inch from the top of a mountain... Mountain is defined as a tall, pointy, rocky thing. Would that make the mountain officially shorter? Well, uh, I guess in terms of uh, official measurement, um, that would be based on some type of resurvey or remeasurement uh, being done after the fact. But uh, that certainly would, uh, were such a survey to be done after the top inch were stolen, it would affect, um, I guess, official uh, elevation for that point. Sure. So if I were a fan of, say, the second highest peak in that country, I could maybe keep going back and stealing an inch until the second highest peak became the highest peak. That's true. You probably could do that if you wanted to and uh, then got some the appropriate government officials to go out and do a new survey to determine uh, that new value. Presumably that uh, that could be done. And are we are we measuring uh, is, is the unit is it how many feet above sea level? Uh, it turns out that using sea level to define zero elevation is a pretty tricky thing to do. For one reason, the, the surface of the ocean is, uh, is highly variable, um, certainly because of storm conditions, tidal fluctuations, and the gravitational effect of the sun and the moon. We're all familiar with tides. Um, so what we do is we actually monitor the ups and downs of the sea surface for a full 19 years in order to average out those effects to the extent possible. Uh, 19 years is needed to allow the sun and the moon to go through a full cycle of their, uh, their interrelationships, their variability. And once we have all that data collected for one point, we can come up with a mean sea level value at that one point. Wait, so what, what you're saying is that when we talk about sea level, we're talking about the average sea level over a 19-year period. That's correct. Wow. Well, Bill, thanks so much for talking to us about this. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to talk with you guys. We are now one week in to our exclamation point fast. Yeah, if you uh, didn't hear last week's episode, we are trying to go 30 days without using a single exclamation point. We're so excited. So many of you have decided to, to do this with us. If you want to join us, you can send us a note at howto at npr.org. Also, just let us know on Twitter at HTDE. Ian R. signed up for the fast. So, uh, Ian, tell us, how's it going? Well, I already failed. Oh, no. Yeah. What happened? Well, I was uh, I was texting my friend, and I sort of sent a text message before I even realized that it had a uh, exclamation point in it. What did you say? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I actually said, I'm really excited to see you with, like, three exclamation points on the end of it. <laughs> so wow. you, you bombed you bombed in a big way with, with three. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you could kind of voice 
what that message sounds like. I'm so excited to see you with and without, like if you had written it with a period in your head, what would the voice sound like saying that? I think it sounds kind of creepy without, without the uh, exclamation point on the end. Oh, I'm so excited to see you. Yeah. Whereas with the exclamation point, it's more like, I'm so excited to see you. Like genuine. Have you, are there any other times you've used exclamation points since then? Yes. And, and a lot. Re- oh, really? So now, are you becoming, are you becoming part of the problem now, Ian? Well, I think I had a problem before, and I just didn't realize it. And now that you guys have done this segment, it's sort of uh, brought out the worst in me. I think. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with the rest of your life, Ian. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Amy is also joining the fast. Uh, so, Amy, what what do you got? Um, it was going pretty well, although I did sign a receipt when I bought lunch today. So I use my exclamation mark. That's a part of my signature. Wait, what's your signature like? Um, I write my name in all caps, and I put an exclamation mark at the end. <laughs> oh, man. How long has your signature been that way? Um, I started writing it in print um, since I was about 16. I remember the lady at the DMV yelling at me when I got my driver's license. Um, but I, I added the exclamation mark, I think, when I was 17, when I was like doing all my college applications. So, okay, so when you when you look at your signature, uh-huh. and you see your name, what is it tell us what the voice sounds like in your head. Amy Posner. <laughs> Wait, where's and the exclamation point is at the end of your last name? Yeah. When you're when you're using your signature out in the world like, you know, signing a check or whatever, how do people react when they see your signature? I've had some people tell me that I'm going to get a lot of money stolen from me one day. Uh, it makes it easy to pretty, co- copy. Pretty, it's pretty easy to forge, yeah. yeah. So wha- I did get a voting registration form rejected, but I am a registered voter now. Okay, okay. So, Amy, why, given then that the exclamation point is part of your, your brand, why would, you, why would you take this fast, or why would you start it? Well, I thought I could exclude my signature. <laughs> okay. It seems like a good idea. It's, it's, in emails, I can see that the exclamation marks are overused. So maybe if I use other exclamation marks less, then the one that I use in my signature would really just mean more to me and everyone around me. I think it, we, as, as the arbiters of the exclamation point fast, I think I'm ready to give you a pass on your signature. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So okay, definitely. Great. Now, there's a lot of disagreement about the origin of the exclamation point. Rose Eveleth has looked into this a bit for a Smithsonian. So, Rose, what are some of the explanations you found? The, the most common one is that it comes from Latin and that in Latin, the exclamation for joy to someone say like, oh, I'm so happy is I-O where the I is written above the O. So you can sort of see how that might look like an exclamation point. Sure. Um, other Others, I mean, I've never actually seen proof that that's true. Um, but that's the one that actually is the least ridiculous to me. Um, I've also heard uh, there is a, a theory that it is a uh, what the cat's tail looks like when it uh, is excited, like pops up. Uh, that's also apparently, uh, according to these these. The people who prescribe to this, where the question mark comes from, because the cat's tail kind of 
kinks a little when it's confused. Wait a minute. So, um, but what's the <laughs> what's the dot supposed to? Is it the cat's butt? Looking at the back of a cat, I think I think the dot is the cat cat's butt. That makes sense. So. In your research, I know you came across a few other names for the exclamation point. Can can you tell us what you found there? Yeah, so it's been called an admiration mark. Um, it's been called a bang, a crister, a control, a dembanger, a gasper, a pling. Um, and then also, I don't know if, if I'm allowed to say, like, dirty words on this podcast. Go for it. Dogs and dogs are also uh, <laughs> the two. The, the other two that are sort of my favorites, probably. Um, it's also been called a shout pole, uh, a slammer. Well, so, Rose, given, given your knowledge, then, of the exclamation point and its history, do you use them? I use them all the time. Uh, maybe more than I should. I will only use one, though. Like, a, I'm opposed to multiple exclamation points in a row. Uh, I'm also a big fan um, of of the idea of using uh, the exclamation point, an upside down exclamation point, to denote irony, uh, which was proposed in actually 1668. Wait, I, I hadn't heard of this. How does that work? To you, you at the end of something that you're saying is ironic, uh, which is hard to tell sometimes on the internet. You just put an upside down exclamation point. So, Rose, do you want to do you want to join our 30 day exclamation point fast? It would be so hard. I, I guess I'm curious as to why you are doing it. Well, I think we're trying to cut down on the overusage of exclamation points. Which presupposes that there is an overusage, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually looked into the Google Books, uh, like, Ngram viewer, uh, in which you can sort of see the usage of words. Um, and according to that, uh, and this is not scientific, but according to that, peak exclamation point usage in books was 1900. No, oh, really? Okay. That doesn't account for, like, tweets and emails and anything like that, which is probably the cases in and most most of you are probably not worried about using exclamation points too often in all the books you're writing. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting, an interesting uh, little note. Well, Rose, this has been great. Thanks so much. No problem. Anytime. Hey, we want to take a break to acknowledge one of the people that paid for us to take a break and talk to you about them. Casper is an online retailer for mattresses. Casper mattresses are American-made and obsessively engineered for comfort. They use two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, to give just the right amount of sink and bounce. They have a risk-free trial. You can try out your Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and returns. It's outrageous comfort at a polite price. So go to casper.com slash everything to check out their options. And they have a special offer for listeners of this podcast. That's you. Use the promo code everything to redeem $50 towards a Casper mattress that works for you. We heard from Hanya. Hanya says she listens to How to Do Everything while watching her creepy neighbor tan. Hanya, these next 15 seconds are for you. I think there's a real question here. Who's creepier, the person tanning or the person watching the person tanning? You know, it does change things. We don't we don't have the specifics on this. If let's say I we don't know where Hanya lives, maybe mm-hmm. her neighbor is 200 yards away and she's using a telescope. In that case, it's definitely the watcher. 
Hey, Mike and Ian. Uh, my name's Colton, and I'm just calling to ask a question. Whenever I got a nosebleed as a child, my parents always told me to either lay on the ground or to, to prop my head up so that my nose was pointing upwards, so my nostrils were actually facing the ceiling to stop the bleeding. And so I'm wondering if this actually works. Thanks. Colton, this question reminds us of an interview we did a while back on the show about how to stop a nosebleed. Dr. Sanal Saraya at DMC Children's Hospital of Michigan talked to us about this. She's part of a team that came up with a really unconventional way of stopping a nosebleed. Is that about right, Dr. Saraya? That's correct. So we had a patient who had a very rare uh, bleeding disorder, and we tried everything that we have in the market, which is sterilized and ready products, which did not seem to work very well with her. So we decided to be in concert with our uh, colleagues at hematology and oncology. Okay. Uh, found out that people in the 1900s used to use uh, salted pork for controlling bleeding. Salted pork, you said? Salted pork, yes. Uh, we think it works because, one, the salt in the pork actually makes all the tissue in the nose swell up. So that acts as a tamponade by itself. The other thing with pork is that it is very rich in tissue factors. And since it's not sterilized, those tissue factors are pretty much um, not killed. So they work pretty well and act locally to cause the bleeding to stop. So this was, this was a piece of bacon. Yeah. It was a piece of bacon, yes. So how, how do you administer the salted pork? We just take big chunks of the salted pork, take the fat off, shape it in the form of a tampon, and put it right in the nose. Oh, my goodness. It is done in a sterile procedure in the, uh, in the uh, operation theater, obviously not something you want to try at home, because uh, in the past, when they did use it, the only reason it fell to malrepute is because patients started getting life-threatening infections because it is not sterilized. So if this particular patient was kept in the ICU, was monitored to make sure she doesn't get any infections from the use of the pork. She did pretty well. Now, when you guys determined that that was going to be your course of action, uh, a salt pork tampon, where did you, did you guys have pork there at the hospital? No, we did not. We did uh, take a short trip to the grocery store in the morning before coming to the OR. Really? Yes. What did you, do you remember what you bought? I don't remember. It was one of our hematologists uh, who actually picked it up on her way uh, to work. So now, it uh, was right off the stores. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, it was funny because when we were in the operation theater, too, everybody was looking at us and saying, oh, this is what my grandmother used to do. This is what my grandmother said we used to uh, put on our uh, hands when we cut our finger or something. Mm. But uh, it does work, again, with... Uh, the caveat that you can get a bad infection because these are not sterilized. Wow. So, so can this person, uh, this patient, are they smelling bacon all the time now? <laughs> no, she's not because okay. it's out. We had okay. to take it out within 48 hours. We didn't leave any part of the bacon in her nose. Uh, yep. Can I ask, is there, now, I, I like bacon. Would if I if I wanted to use apple smoked applewood smoked bacon, would that be okay, or like like a maple flavored bacon? Maybe at the point of time uh, when we start using it more frequently, we can start deciding if we can uh, give the patient a choice of the flavor, just like we do with the anesthesia gases. But at this point of time, we're not doing any smoked bacon. We're doing plain, plain simple bacon. I wonder if vegetarians, if they were in a similar situation, would object to this. They yeah. probably could. Yeah. Unless they were having a life-threatening bleed, in which case they probably would say, you know, just stop the bleed for me right now. 
I don't want to die. I'll think about the bacon later. So if I'm at home and my son or someone gets a, a bloody nose? Mm-hmm. I would say pinch the nose before you even ask me the question. I would say pinch the nose. Mm-hmm. I would say put his head back a little bit, mm-hmm. take some ice, put it on his forehead, put it on his nose. Do not put bacon in his nose <laughs> and take him to the first ER you can get him to. For, for you or any of the other doctors on your team, do you think this is going to enhance or diminish your enjoyment of bacon in the future? <laughs> Good question. I'm a vegetarian, okay. so um, I'll let that pass. But I'm quite sure that Dr. Belinky was very happy, and I think he still eats his bacon, and so does Dr. Humphrey. So I don't think it really changed anything for them. Yeah. They do look at bacon in a very different light now, though. Dr. Sarai, this has been really fun. Thanks for talking us through the um, bacon nosebleed cure. It was great talking to you. Hey, we're not the only show NPR produces. There's also Morning Edition. Morning Edition is a show in the morning. A news show. It's called Morning Edition. Wherever there's a story, Morning Edition is going to talk to you about it. No matter what it is. They'll be talking about it. Listen to Morning Edition tomorrow on the radio. Find your local station's schedule at npr.org. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I learned that uh, sea level, it's not you don't just go out and measure it, that it's actually an average of 19 years of measurements. So every day for 19 years, someone's out there with... Um, like a measuring stick, and they just make a note, and then at the end of 19 years, they just average it all together? I think it's it's more technical than that, but um, that's a beautiful image. Yeah. Can't you see it in like a, like a painting mm-hmm. of, of the ocean? Just an old man out there with a white beard and a measuring stick and a log book. Maybe he has a parrot on his shoulder or another pet. Yeah, a peg leg. It's got an eye patch. Something yeah. happened. Maybe there's a... Submarine surfacing out on the horizon. Yar, 800 feet. And then the next day, yar, 800 feet again. And then he's, like, the next day he's out there, yar, 798 feet. Yeah, for 19 years. How to do everything? Well, this is, this is actually kind of a horrible moment. Yeah. Uh, Jillian Donovan, our beloved producer, uh, is moving back to England, which is a country far, far away. Known for stealing hearts, just ripping them right out of your chest cavity, still beating. That's what England does. Jillian, if, I guess if we can be serious for a moment, um, has been really amazing. Uh, both a great producer and um, just a really fun person to have around. And uh, we, are, we are going to miss you. We already miss you, Jillian, because it's really hard to do the show with it's, when it's just the two of us. We're talking to her, we're saying you as if Jillian still listens after finally shedding the shackles of, of you and me. Can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. That I got a text from Jillian last night, and it used 13 exclamation points. Yeah, so she's... She's completely cut off. Yeah. Jillian, uh, we wish you the best, and um, just come back, would you? Please, Jillian. Technical direction provided this week from Robert Newhouse. Our intern is Jillian. Nope, she's not even our intern. Nope, she refuses to do anything. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. 
Our website is howtodoeverything.org. And if you want to see us in person, come this Friday, May 1st, to The Hideout. We're on the interview show that starts at 6.30 p.m. Friday, May 1st, at The Hideout. In Chicago. It's in Chicago. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to How to Do Everything. We want to know what you think about our show and about every other NPR show or podcast. And you can do this by joining NPR Listens. Tell us what you love and what you hate. What says here, what you love less. Yeah, but tell us about the ones you hate. Speak up now at nprlistens.org. But if you hate us, don't just... Uh, yeah, just skip it. Forget everything Don't join you've it. heard. <laughs>